Hello, and welcome to Staying Awake. I have a sleeping disorder. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. Hello, and welcome to Staying Awake. Podcast. Homeless on the podcast. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. Wait, that's not right. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And while some may call us crazy, we do in fact like comics because they have no bones. That's right. And if you'd like to find more of Boneless Comics Podcast, you can go to at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. And for even more bonus points, you can go to our YouTube channel for videos, after shows, bonus content, and Spidey Joe's one-shots at tinyurl.com slash bonelesscomicspodcast. Wait, I'm confused. Is it bonus content or boneless content? Both. Oh, okay. Perfect. Both boneless and bonus content. <laughs> We've also been uploading video versions to Spotify, so you can watch those on that platform as well as YouTube. And then also make sure you subscribe everywhere you find us to get the latest updates. And I also wanted to give a special thank you for all of our listeners from around the world in Argentina, Germany, Canada, Australia, Sweden, Spain, Italy, Philippines, Austria, and Brazil. That's really awesome. Thank you for listening. Yeah, it's really cool to see so many international listeners. And I think that's something that's really surprised me because we're really coming at this from an American angle, largely reviewing American comics. So it's really cool to see that we're reaching uh, so many parts of the world. Uh, so today we're going to be covering Marvel's Moon Knight from the Dead, which is written by Warren Ellis and penciled by Declan Shalvey from 2014. And Moon Knight is one of those characters who emerged during the Bronze Age, which is roughly starting in the 70s through like 1990. Uh, the 90s would be what we call the Dark Age. So this was a time period when a lot of the kids that grew up reading Batman and Superman in the, the 40s, 50s, even some in the 60s, they had now grown up and they were introducing more mature themes and storylines. Yeah, I think the 90s was a dark age for many. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Moon Knight debuted more on the beginning end of that uh, in 1975, actually, in issue number 32 of a comic called Werewolf by Night, written by Doug Monch, with art by Don Perlin and Al Milgram. He was introduced as a mercenary who was hunting the main character, Jack Russell, who is, in fact, a werewolf by night. Haha. <laughs> even though Jack Russell is a breed of dog, but go figure. And then also sort of semi-related to that, a Halloween special based on Werewolf by Night is in development for Disney+, and Michael Giacchino is set to direct. He's the composer we talked about in the last after show when we were talking about the Batman, so it's interesting. Yeah, so we both love Giacchino, but yeah, I, I really hope that this works out better with Giacchino in the lead. So Yeah, Werewolf by Night is one of those... Like it still exists, like Jack Russell is still a character today, but mm -hmm. I guess popularity is spiking and now it's time to do a Disney Plus show. So that'll be interesting. I mean, everybody gets a Disney Plus show. That Hey, fine by me. I read I read online today that Nova is probably going to have one coming down nice. the pipeline. So hopefully that's somebody that I'm really a big fan of. So hopefully we can uh, 
do some of his comics at some point. Yeah, there was a subtle possible reference to another Marvel character in the Moon Knight TV show, which was really interesting. Might not be anything, but still worth mentioning. But you'll have to wait for our after show to hear who that was. Yeah, everybody definitely stick around. Yeah. Okay, enough shameless plugs. So... <laughs> Moon Knight shows up and he's wearing a giant moon on his chest and he has a bright white outfit and he is shown fighting a werewolf in his first incarnation. So perfect antagonist for a werewolf, I guess. But, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so five years later in 1980, Monch and the artist Bill Sienkiewicz introduced a solo Moon Knight comic where Mark Spector is a soldier of fortune and killed on a mission in North Africa, but revived by the spirit of Khonshu, which was a creation inspired by the legend of the Egyptian moon god. Moon Knight then becomes an agent of justice operating in and around New York City. What a surprise it's New York City. Right. I really love Bill Sienkiewicz, by the way. He doesn't do interiors on comics much anymore, but I have every variant cover that he did for the recent Hawkman series, and he's done a bunch of variants for various other DC books in recent history, as well as Marvel. Basically, if I see one of his covers on a rack, I'm going to pick it up. So that's really cool to know that he was involved this early on, because I'm more familiar with him as a cover artist. So I would be really interested to go back and read some of those old issues, just because I know his art has a really unique look to it. Yeah, that was one of the things that made the first run on Moonlight very notable was the noir influence visual style and tone, thick with long shadows and moral ambiguity. <laughs> the, the comic stories were akin to what other creative teams were doing with titles like Daredevil and Punisher in the 1980s, which featured gritty martial arts heavy action set largely at night in the worlds of international crime cartels and dangerous cults. So a lot of street-level fighters were really prominent. Uh, in this era when Moon Knight came out. So Moon Knight's another one of those characters with a few retcons over the years since his first solo series premiered. At first, he kind of just goes by three different aliases. We have the mercenary Mark Spector, the investor and entrepreneur Stephen Grant, who invests Spector's money and then becomes a billionaire from it, and the cab driver Jake Lockley. However, in later stories, writers actually give him dissociative identity disorder, or DID, and the aliases actually become separate personalities. But unfortunately, not all writers handled this very well, so it was often mistakenly referred to as schizophrenia, which is a completely different condition, so let's try not to mix those up. Right. So while some runs focused on the disorder itself and how it's been a part of him since childhood, there were a lot of runs that included supernatural elements, such as giving him superhuman powers based on moon phases. And this run we're talking about today actually says... His DID is the result of brain damage, and his personality shifts are the result of a psychic connection to the four major aspects of Kanchu's multifaceted nature, which are called the Traveler, the Pathfinder, the Embracer, and the Defender of those who travel at night. And his secret fifth aspect, the one who lives on hearts. Yum, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> It's also revealed at one point that Kanchu is actually real in the Marvel Universe, and he's one of several entities from what is called the Other Void, which is a dimension outside normal time and space. Okay. So supporting characters for New Moon Knight typically include skilled pilot and aide Jean-Paul Duchamp, also known as Frenchie, which is one of the Easter eggs actually in the Moon Knight TV show on Disney+. Plus. I'll give you that one for free. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. 
Yeah. And also Marlene Alreun, a globe-hopping adventurer and the hero's occasional girlfriend. He also gets help from Bertrand Crawley, an erudite and philosophical homeless man. And Jenna Landers, a diner proprietor whose teenage sons also pitch in on some missions. So some of them are in this story. Some of them are not. Most of them are not. But I just wanted to name drop a few so that way you're familiar with them or you've heard of them. Yeah, so we and we're going to get into story analysis later, but I I did want to bring up that they do mention the dissociative identity disorder in this story, but that explanation it's it's kind of a weird combination of like the Egyptian deity Khonshu is talking to him and his therapist is talking to him at the same time, and you're not really sure where one ends and the other begins, but they, their explanation of like yeah, when you got shot as Mark Spector, you got brain damage. And then this supernatural entity split your mind into four pieces. That was kind of an interesting angle for them to take on it, especially because what they're basically describing is an insane person. But then the therapist goes, you're not insane. Your brain has just been colonized by an ancient consciousness from beyond space time. So <laughs> there's a big oh, difference there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's It's full of of dialogue like that where people are just matter of factly saying kind of ridiculous things so there, there's definitely a a style to the writing right well and a lot of his craziness comes from you know other than his outfit choices also that you know each of the personalities on their own they they're very i guess sane for what they are doing but when you try to jumble all of them together within one person it looks crazy to most other people yeah so each writer tends to approach this from different angles, but Warren Ellis seems like he takes a more grounded approach to some degree. Um, but mm -hmm. speaking of him as a writer, he seems to be one of those writers that likes to work on something for a bit and then move on to the next project, really kind of revisiting earlier works and also had a lot of bumps in his career. So let, let me get into Warren Ellis a little bit. He started off as a writer for a British magazine in 1990 and worked on some short stories for Judge Dredd and Doctor Who. He started with Marvel in 94 on Hellstorm, Prince of Lies, and also worked on the Marvel 2099 imprint where a futuristic Doctor Doom took over the United States. Yeah. Why he just stopped with the United States? Well, I haven't read that, so I can't tell you. It's, a, it's the only 2099 book that lasted for any serious amount ah. of time. So. He also wrote some story arcs for Thor and Wolverine as well. So then uh, he did work for DC Comics and wrote some stories that were based more on sort of like real life events and situations. But he actually left DC after his Hellblazer story about school shootings was not published because it would coincide with the Columbine school shooting in 1999. Even though the story was written prior to this event, you know, it just was bad PR. So they yeah. ended up not publishing it. So just bad timing. Uh, he then jumped back into Marvel as one of the writers set to revitalize the X-Men spinoff books, but unfortunately that didn't seem to be very successful. So then in 2004, he took over Ultimate Fantastic Four and Iron Man under a temporary exclusive work for hire contract, and that actually seemed to go pretty well. Yeah, that's where I'm, or probably where I first became aware of Warren Ellis was on Ultimate Fantastic Four, and the book had kind of taken a downturn in quality at the time when he came on. And I would largely credit his writing and his interest, especially in sci-fi concepts and um, 
transhumanism, which is kind of a, I don't know, he's, he's very into the ideas of like augmenting humanity with technology and, and nanites and all those kinds of things. And so all of that is a really good fit for both the Fantastic Four and Iron Man. So he really takes kind of a hard sci-fi angle on most superhero books that he gets put on. So that it, it was very natural for him to take over those titles, I think. All right. He also did some other comic works and had some appearances as well. But I found it interesting. He's also credited as writer for some animated TV episodes, most oh. notably for an episode of the animated series Justice League Unlimited in 2004 for an episode called Dark Heart another robot type story that seemed to fit in with his writing style. So he also co-wrote a miniseries called Red that was loosely adapted into two films. And he wrote the Iron Man Extremis story arc that was used as the primary influence on the plot of the MCU film, Iron Man 3, which came out in 2013. Mm. And then he wrote and released Moon Knight from the Dead in 2014 and co-wrote two issues of Captain Marvel alongside Kelly Sue DeConnick in early 2015. So not too bad of a career right but i do have one last note about his difficult career following public accusations of sexual coercion and manipulation in 2020 he's not really been able to get much of anything published these days there's been a lot of social media backlash anytime his name comes up which in this day and age is pretty much a career killer so unfortunate so here. i didn't know anything about the uh sexual coercion allegations or anything related to that but i did look into it after looking over your notes and yeah it looks pretty bad so yeah i get why companies don't want to work with him anymore i think his career is pretty much over which is a shame because i'm actually a fan of his writing i i think it's no secret that we're both really big sci-fi fans and i've followed a lot of the titles that he's written over the years but you know being all the while kind of ignorant of his personal life. But I I read uh, his whole run on Ultimate Fantastic Four. At Wildstorm, he did Stormwatch. And then when they rebooted Wildstorm at DC back in like, oh, I don't know, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. Uh, and he got to kind of just create his own universe. Uh, I have every issue of the Wildstorm, which was like a 24-issue maxi series, and Michael Cray which was also a spinoff. And again, just really, really great sci-fi stuff. Uh, it's sort of like if superheroes existed, but they existed as black ops operatives and not with these public personas like we see in DC and Marvel. So that it's a very, interesting. yeah, it's a very like different slant on the superhero genre. That's always kind of been what the Wildstorm universe is, but Warren Ellis really pulled in all those sci-fi concepts and he had like multiple intelligence agencies fighting for control using their different superpowered agents and you know all of that so it was yeah it was really good stuff so anyway i obviously i like i like warren ellis's writing it's a it's a shame to hear about you know all the other stuff because that does kind of sour it to be honest but uh moving on to the penciler declan shalvey he also started out working on Judge Dredd. So I, my guess is that both of these people, again, were kind of part of that British invasion that happened in the, the 70s and 80s of a lot of talent coming from Great Britain to the United States to work on our comics after having proven themselves over there. His career is mostly unremarkable. 
there there's you know two or three titles he's done at marvel and dc a lot of them are very current shelby seems to be somebody that's come into favor more in the last decade so i first became aware of him because he was penciling some backup stories in all-star batman not to be confused with all-star batman and robin which is the frank miller book this is the scott snyder book and the backup issues were about batman training duke thomas or the signal who's basically batman's first black sidekick so he's not robin but he's essentially a, a protege that batman is training and he's training him to catch serial killer victor zaz which is not i feel like where you would want to start training under batman but i really noticed during that story which was called the cursed wheel that First of all, Jordi Belair, who is the colorist on this Moon Knight volume, also did the colors for that. Jordi Belair really punches up Declan Shalvey's art to the next level to where I don't know that the pencils stand as well on their own. I think a lot of it is the coloring really bringing that to life. What I don't think Shalvey does particularly well are mundane, regular day-to-day expressions. Because even when somebody's just smiling, it always looks creepy. However, (laughs) because Moon Knight here is a book that's playing with kind of surrealism and creepiness and and there's some sort of crime drama and supernatural elements, I think Shalvi's pencils actually work tonally there pretty well. And when we get into the really weird fantasy elements like there's i don't know there's a dude that's got spores growing out of his eye sockets later on all of that stuff really lends itself to shelby's style really well so i'm a little bit mixed on the art i do think that the colorist is doing more of the heavy lifting than the penciler here though so that's kind of interesting i don't know that that's really been the case for any of the books that we've reviewed so far no, I think we've seen ones with goofy expressions before, but that was yeah. something I noticed as well, that the colors just seemed like really good, like the outlines, the shading, the shadows, mm-hmm. and sort of like flat color palette. It gives it that like creepy noir feel that yeah. really fits you know, the story that they're telling and, and the character that they're using. But whenever, like especially when they're close up, the faces looked almost kind of cartoony. Mm-hmm. But from far away, it, it seemed to be okay. I don't know. Yeah, that was a critique that I had of the Cursed Wheel. Again, that All-Star Batman story as well, was that the faces were a little bit cartoony for the story that they were telling. But again, then they'll get into the scenes where Victor Zaz is there, and he's like cutting people and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, Shalvi can really draw this kind of stuff. And my guess is that his tendency to be good at that sort of surreal fantasy stuff is probably why he landed this assignment on Moon Knight. Um, My other guess about that is that both he and Warren Ellis worked on the anthology book that Judge Dredd is a part of in England. So I wonder if even they, they met, you know, while they were working on that title. So that's really all you need to know about the penciler. Uh, The story itself spans six issues of short stories where Moon Knight tackles six different antagonists in stories that are named Slasher, Sniper, Box, Sleep, Scarlet, and Spectre. So this, unlike a lot of the trade paperbacks that we've covered, this is more of a series of one-shots where the first and the last issue have story ties to each other, but the four issues in between are kind of just standalone adventures. So you kind of get a taste of 
several aspects of Moon Knight's personality throughout these different stories. So one thing I want to tackle first before we really dive into the story, because it's not really a big plot point here, but it sort of feeds into some of our recent discussions in the last couple episodes. So Stephen Grant, one of the personalities in most other runs, is portrayed as a wealthy billionaire that makes his money from investing Mark Spector's money. So I don't know that we necessarily get that much of that in you know this these issues, but in my mind, that's you know, the Moon Knight that I know. So he, he, to me, fits in that category of being another one of those rich vigilante fighting street level criminals, because that's what we got, you know, sort of up to this point. So regardless of that, you know, he's still sort of, there's still comparisons of him between like Batman and you could probably put Green Arrow in there as well. But also like the differences I think are even greater than what we talked about before with those characters sort of like the complete absence of a no kill rule which may yeah make, that might make him seem kind of similar to deadpool but his brand of crazy is very different because again he's not necessarily like each individual personality is not necessarily crazy it's just more of you smack them together and you know he sees this egyptian moon god that would drive anybody crazy i guess uh, among you know other things so it, it makes him very different and of course you know his suit being white as well is very different as well so his suit his classic suit is one of the coolest designs for a superhero costume in a long time like he looks amazing and so my bias coming into this and what i've always thought of moon knight without ever having read a moon knight comic because this is my first was is it gonna be kind of like ghost rider where like his cool look is like the main reason that he sells. And I was very pleasantly surprised that that was not the case. I also came into it with the bias that you already addressed of, oh, he's crazy and he kills criminals. Is he just Deadpool? Which again, once I started reading this story, I thought, okay, wow, he is actually very different. But I think the point is that there are a lot of surface level things that would be a barrier to new readers maybe where you hear if you hear just the quick rundown of like what Moon Knight is and what he does, he's going to sound like, oh, that's derivative of this or that. But I think once you get into the details and the nitty gritty of the character itself, he feels unique. He feels like his own person and he feels like he has his own place in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I'm really surprised that he hasn't been involved more in the MCU up until this point. And maybe it's just because even though he's very unique, maybe it takes a unique taste to sort of appreciate his comics so most people don't really go around you know spreading the name of moon knight you know if you want to see something like that well just <laughs> just read batman just read green arrow you know the the big ones you know check out deadpool if you want to re- read about a crazy uh anti-hero so i think a lot of that there's a lot of misperception with it but then mm-hmm. it's also like you know once you oversaturate the market with a ton of heroes and villains even though they may all be unique it's still oversaturated so that could have been some of it too is maybe he just sort of got caught in the the sidelines but for whatever reason obviously he's popular enough that now we're getting a disney plus show and now we're talking about it on our podcast so hooray yeah well i i'm really i've, I've said this before but i have a really soft spot for obscure marvel 
And part of that is just, I, I mean, and, and at DC as well, like I like those guys like Hawkman. I like the Adam. I like some of these characters that are a little bit outside of, you know, sort of the, the big guns because they haven't been explored as much and they give the writers the opportunity to just get weird with it. And Moon Knight is freaking weird. <laughs> I mean, it's like they lean into that stuff. And so, you know, we can talk more about the show later. I think it's going to succeed or fail in my eyes on how much they lean into just how bizarre they can make things. So far, I think they're off to a pretty good start. This comic certainly grabbed my attention for that reason, too, because there, there are a lot of elements at play. There's, you know, there's serial killers and there's soldiers with PTSD, but there's also people augmenting themselves with cyber technology and people being attacked in their dreams and ghosts. So, I mean, it, it sort of runs the whole like fantasy sci-fi gauntlet in just these six issues. Yeah, there's a lot that happens and they're, they're all, you know, individual stories and they're, but they're all also not just different stories, but the way they're portrayed, the way they're told, the way that things happen are different in each one too. So it's, they're very, it's kind of like Moon Knight himself. They're very distinct, different personalities. Right. So the different personalities, I don't feel that they're all drawn completely clearly in this story. The one that we get the biggest taste of is Mr. Knight. And then we do see the classic Moon Knight costume a few times as well. But the other two, I don't feel like are really prominent or really a part of the story that much. So I didn't really have as good of an understanding of those. But the one that protects travelers at night or Mr. Knight, as they, <laughs> uh, the police call him. That was the one that I feel like was given the most page time in this story. And that's where he basically dresses up in an all white suit with white shoes and white gloves and has the white mask over his face that has the moon logo on it. And he's basically just running around with like a stick or a, it, it's kind of like Daredevil's Billy Club, isn't it? Where he can like launch it. It's got like a, a string or like a rope on it or something where he can launch a section of it. And yeah, throw it and then it'll it. like expand. Uh, but but it's almost like you're being beat up by a businessman kind of thing. <laughs> that that was the only place where the billionaire thing really seemed to come across to me. Like I didn't pick up on that and I wouldn't have if you hadn't mentioned that that was part of his backstory because the synopsis just in this comic is like Mark Spector was a mercenary. He got shot. Uh, the Egyptian deity Khonshu revived him and split his mind into four personalities. Now he's the superhero known as Moon Knight. And that, that was pretty much like that little paragraph was at the beginning of every issue. So I didn't realize that he had a lot of money. Although now that I think about the fact that like he has a car that's voice activated and he has like a, a glider that he can ride on kind of like the Green Goblin, I guess it makes sense that he's super rich that just didn't it wasn't like a super important element in this book well and also his laundry bills alone would probably cost a fortune <laughs> oh my gosh there's so much blood so <laughs> that's that's really one thing that sets him apart from batman certainly and green arrow i think what we have are basically degrees of violence within vigilantes and I think the public perception is that Batman is one of the most brutal. That's actually not the case. Batman is kind of at like the low level 
of brutality when it comes to comic book vigilantes. Whereas I would then say Daredevil is probably a little bit more violent than Batman is. Green Arrow is maybe not as violent as them, but he will occasionally kill. Whereas the other two seem to stick more to a, like, I don't want to kill rule. I think Daredevil's only killed, you know, maybe once or twice. I mean, it's, it's not something that he does often. Same for Green Arrow. Moon Knight seems to kill every villain that he comes into contact with. Pretty much. Story. So I, I don't think any of the, the foes that he fights make it outside of that one issue in, in this story. So if that's, is that kind of indicative of his series as a whole? And is that maybe why I don't know who Moon Knight's rogues gallery is? Because <laughs> <laughs> they show up and then they're yeah. dead. Yeah. Well, and he's he's sort of similar to like the Punisher or Deadpool in, in that way. In right. That there really is no no kill rule. I mean, there, there are times where he'll give somebody a chance or he'll sort of talk to them in a way that's different than somebody else would. Like there's a point in the story where he does that and it's just it's a little bit different like the result is the sort of the same but at the same time like he actually will sort of verbally spar with people versus like deadpool who's just hurling insults at you or punisher who's well just hurling bullets at you but that Moon Knight feels more like he's breaking them down psychologically yeah than it... making fun of them in in a way so that's and I mean, maybe that's what Deadpool is doing. Just he's a lot less subtle about it. Right. But Moon Knight feels like he's getting under people's skin and into their head. And then he takes them down. Right. Yeah. It, it's more like kind of working you inside and out at the same mm -hmm. time. And certainly his white costume is one of those elements where he uses that to not just strike fear into his enemies, but so that they can see him coming like he that's I think one of his most famous recurring quotes is people ask him all the time like why do you wear this white outfit like you know they're going to see you coming right and he's like that's the idea yes I want them to see <laughs> me coming you know kind of like Deadpool wears a red costume and in the Deadpool movie he's like well because I don't want the bad guys to see me bleed so he wears red <laughs> which was pretty funny but Moon Knight wants everybody to see blood because it's their blood and he's not going to stop until i guess it's on his costume so but at least he yeah. washes it yeah that does seem to happen every issue uh he he always gets blood on him yeah so so and then of course batman you know wears a, a black costume to strike fear you know that way so uh, sure but talking about costumes how how practical do you think his costume is and does it work for its intended purpose so if if his if the intended purpose is for people to see him coming, then yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's a bright white light in the middle of the night. And I didn't mean for nice. that to rhyme, but it did. <laughs> but I think just the traditionalist in me likes the more superhero-y aesthetic where he is, you know, quote Moon Knight as opposed to Mr. Knight. So the the big cape and the the cowl and everything really really the only critique i have about his look in the show actually is that i miss the visual in the comic of his face not being visible at all and the hood kind of hanging out over and it just being like dark in there where his face is and his eyes going out i think that's a really cool look so that but they do do that in the comic and whenever i saw that i was like oh yeah that's the that's the moon knight that i know i mean i i mostly know him just from seeing his 
his books on the shelves. I've never read them, but you know, Batman's thing is more stick to the shadows. He, when he takes on another identity to like investigate crime scenes and stuff like that, he's always matches Malone. So he sort of like screws up his face and gives himself a fake scar and, and, you know, puts on a sock cap and then goes and like hangs out at the docks and talks to criminals. And so matches Malone is like this criminal that people know in Gotham that is completely a fiction that Bruce Wayne has created. So he has played with that idea of having like another third identity that can get information out of criminals uh, in a different way other than beating them senseless. But I think that's more a Moon Knight thing, at least from what I've read in this book. He seems to be switching between identities pretty fluidly. Yeah, so. well, he's got enough of them that he can yeah. pretty well do that. Well, and the thing about Mr. Knight is that he's actually like, a business consultant. So it it's like if Batman were to clip the ears off and ditch the cape and just have more of a Bruce Wayne business look, but keep the cowl, it, it's right. like he's still investigating. He's still doing what he was doing before, although not, you know, without all the blood stuff, but he's, he's investigating as Mr. Knight. So he's like a suited consultant that goes and he's kind of doing the detective work and it, it's easier for him to get into the crime scenes and the cops are like, well, we're supposed to pretend that that's not Moon Knight. You know, that's that's Mr. Knight. It's a different person. So <laughs> well, even... I thought that was pretty that was pretty funny or that was pretty interesting, actually, that he um, even the police it, do it. Even, even the police were sort of like, we uh, we're going to treat this like it's a different guy, even though it's clearly the same guy, because what he does is useful to us. So we're not going to sort of set him off. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I wondered if that was coming from a place of fear of like, has there been a policeman that addressed him the wrong way? And then he like, you know, just went nuts on them at some point or because Moon Knight is unhinged. The reason we keep saying Moon Knight, by the way, instead of like his real name is because I don't know that we know which of his names is his real name. I always thought it was Mark Spector. I mean, that's the primary. So. Yeah. But, but Stephen Grant is who is leading on the TV show, and he becomes Stephen Grant several times in the comic as well. So, yeah, I was never clear on like, well, what's his real name? And I don't I don't know that you're supposed to. Right. Know, so just a combination of of all of them. Like, right. you know, a person has different sides of them and, and sometimes you get in certain moods. Well, he has completely different moods that have different tastes and preferences and, <laughs> and capabilities. Even, you know, one of them's a fighter and the other one's an investor and the other one drive taxis and, you know, all that stuff. So they're <laughs> they're very different. Um, I'd like to see his taxi driving out with, <laughs> yeah. a, with a moon on the, the cab or something like that. <laughs> so. This also, you know, now that we're talking about comparing to other characters, this sort of relates back all the way to our episode in season one, uh, episode three, actually 3.2, I think more so, where we mm -hmm. reviewed Mr. Miracle and talked about Scott Free, where, you know, in that it was especially like, well, what's real and what's not real? And you get a little bit of that in this when he's talking to his, you know, psychiatrist slash uh, moon god slash maybe even just a part of himself and there's no one else in the room with him who knows <laughs> so do you you know do you think that's another where we have similarities there or are they i mean they are completely different one of them grew up on apocalypse i mean for goodness sake so that sets you apart I, pretty quick i i think they're both concerned with mental health issues 
but I don't think that they're the same mental health issues. If that oh, makes no, sense, they're definitely different. Yeah, so I, I I just think that story is more concerned with addressing those issues, where this is more concerned with his personality split. It's something that's there, and they're going to talk about it, but we're not going to really address him needing to go to a psychologist except for like the one scene and even that i'm not 100 percent convinced happened that i guess that's the similarity though is like where does reality end and what's happening in his brain begin my take is that most of what happens in this story does actually happen they're they're just not as concerned with with addressing that as like a major story point it's kind of like it's not super relevant honestly so speaking of sort of psychology and, you know, tactics that he takes, we, we talked a little bit about how he pr approaches the villains of the story. So in the first one, we have an ex-Shield agent that uh, has been abducting and, and killing people because he's got a few issues. But Mr. Knight <laughs> shows up and the first thing that he asks him is, uh, you know, the slasher is like, are you here to kill me? Are you armed? And Moon Knight goes, no, I'm not armed. And actually, I just came down here to hear your side of the story. So he gets him talking and and monologuing about, you know, how he's been mistreated and how he's doing this and, you know, his personal motivations. And then, of course, Moon Knight has to dance with him and he ends up pulling a gun on him. Moon Knight blocks it with one of his little moon moonerangs. I guess we would call I don't them. know if that's what they're called, but that's what I'm calling them. Yeah. And it's... he he reflects a bullet from the guy's gun and it hits him and ricochets and then that's it. He's down. So he defeats him. I mean, technically he was armed because he had that, you know, yeah. moonering. But at the same time, like he defeated him pretty easily, didn't get hit and, you know, killed him with his own gun without even touching it, which was pretty impressive. Right. But you know, he, he was talking to him and, and getting the villain to open up. Do you think this was like, I'm offering you a chance to tell me your side of the story. And if it goes a certain way, I will, you know, either grant you mercy or give you a chance to run or something like that. Or do you think it was just completely a distraction tactic of get him talking, get close, get within the radius and then take him out? Cause he, he could have taken him out at any time. He could have just snuck in there and assassinated him without asking so i honestly think that he's basically going beg for your life without saying beg for your life oh interesting and and the reason i think that is because the second issue which has a lot less dialogue by the way it's basically carried almost entirely by the art but he does something similar there's a sniper that he's trying to take down that's shooting a whole bunch of people in the second issue and there's this moment where Moon Knight pauses and it's like he's not it's almost like he hasn't decided whether or not to kill that guy. But then somebody else comes in and kills the guy and takes the decision out of his hands. But I the fact that he does it two issues in a row where he kind of comes in and he's like, explain your deal to me. makes me wonder if. He goes in there with the full ability to kill the bad guy, but he does want to hear their side of the story first. And then if he's satisfied that, you know, they had a good reason or not, he may decide whether or not he's going to kill them. I feel like that that's just how I read it. And that's completely subtext. That's never explicitly stated, but the fact that he does this a few times, I, I don't know. It, that was just interesting to me. 
So I, I almost wondered if there was some version of this story that this guy could have told where I think Moon Knight was probably going to take down the guy in the first issue, no matter what, because he was killing homeless people. I mean, in that, as he says, those are people that travel by night, which are the people that he protects. So uh, I, I think that guy was pretty much not long for this world, no matter what. But the second issue, I really got the impression that he hadn't made a decision on whether or not he was going to kill him until hearing his side of the story. Yeah, I wonder if it's because like so the the sniper takes a shot at him and and like yeah. grazes him. And so, you know, I wondered too if that was like because of his his ability, he wanted to give him a chance or maybe he was just, you know, like you said, just like, okay, I want to hear your side. But I I never got the impression that he was going to be like judge, jury and executioner. Like, tell me, you know, your side and I might let you live or or something like that. It's more just like I, I want to hear your story because, you know, he he's one person who has multiple stories all together because he has these different personalities. So I, I kind of look at it as more like he's like curiosity. Like I, I'm interested mm. to know, you know, why it is that you're doing this. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that's another way to read it, too, is is he could just be curious and just be like, hey, I want to know what's like, why are you doing this? And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Now that I know, you can die now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It doesn't feel like there is malice in his actions. Right. Whereas I would say that's a big difference between him and the Punisher. The Punisher, it feels like there is clear malice and rage and all of that, you know, however you want to describe it. Like he is a maniac going out there, blowing away rooms full of people. With Moon Knight, it feels like he, he is going after really, really bad people and killing them, but it seems like he's a little more delicate with it, and he's almost, he's almost like matter-of-fact about it. It's, it's just kind of like, this is what I do. I'm, you know, I'm not angry, but I'm, I'm protecting these people, basically, and that, that just seems to be his deal. Well, and in the fifth issue, he is going in to rescue a hostage uh, who's been kidnapped for ransom that, you know, everybody thinks is dead anyway. And he goes in to save this person and the last guy standing points a gun at them and says, you know, I'll kill them if you don't back off. So at first, Mr. Knight acts like he doesn't care about the hostage, but he points out that the hostage is the only thing keeping the guy alive, implying that even if he kills the hostage, he's still going to die anyway. And everybody right. thinks the hostage is dead. So nothing changes in this scenario, except if you kill that person, they're dead. But either way, you're dead and nobody's going to cry about it. And then he tops it off with asking him, are you ready to die today? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if the guy doesn't kill the hostage, he could live. So right. that's the choice he ends up making. And he just gets a bat to the side of his head instead of I don't know that that was necessarily a killing blow. You know, maybe he just knocked him out and he decided to let him live. It's it's really hard to say. His motivations are not super clear. And I think part of that is just the fact that you can't really read expressions through his Moon Knight mask. But part of it is just, I don't know that that's something that the comic book really wants or needs to discuss. They're like, this is, this is his deal. This is what he does. He goes out, protects people at night. And he he can only be who he is, basically. And it's it's pretty unapologetic about the violence as well, which I think is actually something interesting. 
we we talked about it really briefly, but we kind of skipped over it. But there's one scene in particular where he takes it real far, where he like stabs a guy in the nipples with the the moonerangs and then Ouch. like throws him down a staircase. And I mean the the dude was way bigger than Moon Knight and was probably gonna kill him. And you know, I get it. Do whatever you can to win. But uh the violence all throughout this was much higher than what I was expecting <laughs> when I got into it. So so that was something it didn't turn me off. It it was more like I was reading it and just going, oh, interesting. So this is going to really take place in a different space than Batman and other similar vigilantes. Yeah, he's so I don't know. I, I don't know. Like he's definitely not not shy about that, but for the most no. part, you know, there's not ever a point where you care. It's not like he's just indiscriminately like, oh, there's a hostage. I don't care. Blow them away. You know, he, no. he's still directing it at the bad guys. And that's what makes him fall into that anti-hero category more with Deadpool, who Deadpool, you know, in, in the same boat, doesn't necessarily kill indiscriminately. It's just more a, a fact of what is the target and what am I after and who's in my way? And they're they're both mercenaries. So maybe right. that's, you know, where they they have that similarity. But, you know, the the version of crazy like Deadpool's just plain crazy. He, he is is crazy. I actually have a question about the mercenary thing. Is Mark Spector still a mercenary once he comes back to life as the Moon Knight? Does he still? I mean, I mean, I guess be, because we never see him like accept the contract and go, you know, fight in some third world country or you know, take a hit on somebody for money or anything like that. I, that I feel like is definitely more Deadpool's wheelhouse. Whereas I don't really see Moon Knight doing that at any point now. Although I do know you said earlier that like Stephen Grant invests the mercenary money. So maybe he is still. Mark Spector definitely was a mercenary before becoming Moon Knight. Right. So it's not that he necessarily stops becoming a mercenary or goes to be a mercenary full time. It's just more part of his backstory. I don't know that he necessarily joins an organization or, you know, picks up contracts, you know, kind of like you right. mentioned. But at the same time, he's sort of driven by a quote unquote higher directive. So I, I think sure. he, he sort of makes his own contracts with himself and with Kanshu. Well, I guess we haven't talked about that. The fact that Khonshu, the Egyptian deity, actually communicates with him verbal. Well, I don't know if it's actually verbal, but he hears it in his head. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredibly creepy visual. And I kind of love it. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's like this giant bird skull. And at one point, it's it's just sitting on like the Mr. Knight outfit, like sitting in a chair talking to him like they're just having coffee or something like that. It's such a weird visual, and this is probably one of my favorite parts about this comic book are where it sort of skews into that sort of surreal, weird, even like supernatural territory, because we've talked a lot about him fighting more like street-level criminals, but there's also a really strong kind of like supernatural undercurrent to this where Moon Knight actually can't die. That's something that they keep bringing up. I would assume because he already died. So is he kind of just like an undead warrior at he's, this point? He's not undead, but because he's being powered by Kanchu, Kanchu basically just brings him back to life. He just keeps bringing him back to life yeah. every time he, yeah. So that's an aspect, but they even have him do sort of supernatural warfare in like, there's one issue where he fights ghosts 
that are causing problems in the city. And then there's another one where he actually goes into the dream realm to take down a threat. And then once he's in there, he discovers, oh, the problem's actually outside the dream world. But I loved all of that stuff, especially the visuals in that issue. I thought they were like top notch. Yeah, that was a really fun one. And that's definitely one where you don't have to question reality because you know that he's sort of on a right. trip, I guess not drug, but like biological drug. Well, it's it's weird because what, what they explain, there's this guy that died while this dream research was being done on him. And there was some sort of spore in his brain that grew and then people were breathing in that spore and so the like messed up dreams of this dead guy were being transmitted through the spores is that what it was yeah his brain sporulated yeah so that was awesome <laughs> just because i like i love weird crap like that like i thought that was such a cool idea and it definitely takes a dip into almost like horror movie territory but it feels like it fits this comic book so well. And it also feels like it gives it a unique flavor. Like that's what I want to see more of because I'm like, okay, well, if he's powered by this Egyptian deity, have him fight supernatural stuff. That's going to make him different than daredevil. That's going to make him different than, you know, Batman or green arrow, you know, that gives him a space in, if they're going to put him in the same city as all these other heroes to occupy where it's like, okay, well, moon Knight is going to go after the, supernatural threats so i thought that was a really good angle to take on him it's cool too because he just very confidently is like oh this is what's been happening okay cool well i'll sleep here and i'll go through it and i'll fight it and you know figure out what's going on like he's just like okay here we go just sort of jumps into it right first can't you put me to sleep yeah exactly <laughs> let's, let's go let's get this going and he flies through the drug trip and and figures out you know what it is that's causing this because he actually sees the guy with like spores in his eyes going i can't sleep i can't wake up help right so yeah he, it's pretty it's pretty creepy yeah it's very creepy he it's weird because like he ends up you know kind of saving somebody but the person is obviously dead but mm -hmm. i guess just just closing that matter so that way it's you know nobody well, else has to go them, through that they're they're kind of like dead but they're kind of like trapped not being quite dead so i think he allows the guy to die through yeah. his actions and he also takes down the the scientist that was doing the dream research who ironically was the person that got him in, involved in it too so if if you can't tell i mean this this may sound like this trade paperback or the these six issues are kind of disjointed but in a weird way having six separate stories that show you different aspects of him is kind of like the most moon knight thing ever because it it really shows different ways that you can kind of portray this character and then it sort of folds it all in together and says yeah and it's all the same guy so i do really like that about it yeah the presentation definitely works with with the character mm -hmm. so in the last issue issue six uh called specter we have an nypd officer who this this sort of continues from the first issue i guess to sort of wrap this all up as as like a set so this officer at the in the first issue is just like who's this you know moon knight guy what you know why is he so special why don't we just take him down oh it could be anybody and then in issue six he's like it could be me like i've got the police training and i've got better motives than you know some of the other crazy ones out there that put on a costume so 
you know, I, I probably would be just as good as they are. So he actually takes over this Black Spectre persona from another character who he he sort of just steals the idea like a copycat. And so he goes after Moon Knight thinking that he's going to be able to take him down. And it's really ironic because Moon Knight doesn't even fight him, doesn't even really notice him that much, doesn't really perceive him as a threat. And the guy ends up getting blown up by his own car bomb. Yeah, the the thing with the Black Spectre in the last issue, I got a little bit excited about it because I thought like, okay, well, we're going to see him fight an actual supervillain. Or maybe this is a setup for a real supervillain, but the situation was diffused in a really understated way. And I don't know if I like that or hate it. I'm a little bit mixed on it. I would have liked to have seen at least one issue devoted to here's kind of a traditional superhero story. But at the same time, I guess what Warren Ellis and and Declan Shelby were trying to do was really distinguish what's different about Moon Knight. So, you know, maybe... Maybe his stories don't resolve in in some kind of superhero versus supervillain beatdown, and it, they were just trying to make a comment about like, yeah, a random thing can kill somebody. So I don't know that that was an interesting way to wrap it up. I did enjoy that issue one and six had story ties to each other because it made it feel like there was some thread of continuity throughout. And I think the is the the police chief that we deal with in the story is he in more issues than just the first and the sixth i think he's kind of around in some Mm -hmm. of them more so prominent in the first and last yeah yeah but i think he's i think you at least see him but he was really the only character that had any kind of through line besides moon knight himself so so it's nice to see the that there was a little bit of continuity even though that wasn't really what they were focusing on well and i wonder too if it was just a dig at the black specter character because he's actually one of moon knight's like greatest enemies so okay so maybe it was just them poking fun at him saying you know hey this guy took over and you know he did a terrible job with it and you know kind of just making fun of it that way yeah i don't Mm. know i i did think that the final issue felt like it had the most stuff that was kind of connected to old lore that i might not be familiar with i think they bring up i don't know if it was stephen grant or mark specter's ex-girlfriends but it was one of the two obviously and and they have the cop go and interview them and all of that so that was kind of interesting because that did feel like they were linking back to some older stuff that was kind of lost on me but i don't think you needed it to understand this story no i don't but the cop being kind of disgruntled that they're working with a vigilante and then drawing a line from that to i'll become a vigilante and go out and fight people and be Moon Knight's greatest enemy was kind of weird. I didn't feel like his character turn had a lot of depth or really made a lot of sense. Maybe that's just because he wasn't in the book a whole lot, but that was kind of weird to me when we started issue six and he was just like, yep, I don't like working with Moon Knight. Why don't I kill him? Like, whoa, that's that's a big leap, dude. Yeah, it was very strange for a last issue and not strange in the way that the, the middle issues were to sort of, like, I get the idea of having you know, something to tie the the beginning and the end together. But like you said, it just, it felt like it fell flat a little bit and maybe it just needed to either be its own story or we needed to see this guy 
you know, maybe in one or two panels in each issue along the way, sort of building to the last issue of when he puts on this Black Spectre costume, or maybe, sure, or maybe even like he goes to kill Moon Knight in each of the the issues when Moon Knight is going to fight whatever you know person is is in that or or bad guys that are in that issue, and maybe this Black Spectre guy is like trying to kill Moon Knight, and he sort of just dismisses him, you know very easily and he has to start over again you know so he like keeps coming back and keeps coming <laughs> back and you know just just something to give it a little more oomph i think would yeah would yeah because it, it does it does feel like it's not it's not like a very satisfying build-up to him putting on the black specter suit but it's not really a very satisfying conclusion for that character either where he's just like he sets up a car bomb and then that's yeah it's kind of like oh this great enemy is gonna come back and he's gonna be in the the next series and trouble moon knight and it's gonna be this big thing oh nope just kidding it's just some guy who got blown up right so that's i i think that's really the only story in the collection that i was kind of like eh. you know it wasn't really that exciting and it wasn't bad it was just it was kind of there and it was kind of a low note for them to end on so. Yeah, I th- I think if I had one story complaint, that would be it. But it doesn't mm-hmm. ruin it, and it doesn't take no. away from anything else that happens, so that's good as well. You know, maybe it's good they didn't interject it in the middle, because maybe it would have kind of ruined those as well, because they were very yeah. focused on, you know, what the individual story was. So that sort of feeds into, I guess, our ratings and final thoughts. So. Maybe I'll go first this time, since usually you go first and I try to change your score. Yeah, yeah, let's hear what you think. (laughs) So this to me, you know, aside from the complaint of how the end sort of, you know, we we both agree that sort of fell flat a little bit. Just stylistically what they did and, you know, the penciling aside, the colors were beautiful. There are so many good things in this that this is definitely on the higher end scale for me. But at the same time, I feel like I can't quite give it a five out of five because it's not necessarily that like definitive tale that you have to read if you're a Moon Knight fan. It's definitely very good. And if you're interested in Moon Knight, it's definitely something that you would get enjoyment out of. But it's not going to like there's not really a story arc for him. There's not really any character growth in this. So that would be something that it's lacking. It's more just a collection of stories about the adventures of moon Knight. So Mm -hmm. uh, I guess as a rating, I'll give it a four out of five. Like it's really good. It's up there, but it's not, you know, in that category of the, the big issues or the big stories that would give you that five rating. So four out of five. Yeah. Four is pretty much what I was thinking the entire way through this. And I was wondering if our discussion was going to change my mind at all, but I'm, I'm going to agree with you that it's a four out of five. My justification is more that whether or not this is an essential Moon Knight story, it's a really good take on the character. And I think it's a good way to attack writing that character as sort of a writing problem of just doing six different vignettes that explore different aspects of his anti-hero personalities. So that to me was a good way to address the dissociative identity disorder or you know whether or not he actually has that or if it's just that his brain has been colonized by an egyptian deity you know what however you want to read that i think that was a really cool way to look at this character was to just show different stories where he's playing out different personas 
Uh, if anything, I think what would have made it a five out of five is if they could have leaned into that even more because I really didn't feel like the, like what are the other aspects besides the one who protects the traveler at night? And I mean, that, that was really the main one that I thought was really clearly painted in this. And I really didn't understand so much what the other aspects of Moon Knight were about or why he was wearing like the classic Moon Knight outfit in issue two and issue five, but not for the rest of it. You know what I mean? So I, I think maybe that comes in later in the run when they switch writers. And I've, I looked a little bit ahead in the Marvel app and it looks like it, it was a creative team that I would be excited to, to continue reading with after this so i will say that it did make me want to read more which which for me is another kind of a mark of like a four out of five of like do i want to continue with this so yeah it was really good it he doesn't have much of a character arc but i think that what was on the page was really well implemented and i'm really happy that i read it yeah that's a, a really good result i think is a character that you're interested in but you haven't read much of and then reading mm -hmm. this you're like yeah okay this is good yeah okay i'm ready to read more you know so that tells you how good of a, a story it is that it doesn't make you say you know what this character is not what i thought and i don't want to read more like no it's it's interesting and there's more to him that would be fun to read so well and i think i think the interesting thing here too is that it's not that I want to read more because there were any plot threads left dangling, which is usually what they would do in comics in order to hook you. But I think this is almost the opposite, where this feels like a complete story, but I just go, okay, do you have more like this? I would like more like this. You know, that's, that's kind of the please, sir. Do you have any more? That kind of another attitude. Yeah, exactly. Give me another. <laughs> That's that's how I look at this. So yeah, it's it's a four out of five. It's a really enjoyable story. I think if you're curious about Moon Knight, this is probably a, as good a place to start as any. I for me, I it was a good place. All right. Well, four out of fives all around. And if you disagree or agree, let us know on social media because we want to hear from you. So chat with that's us. Right. So next time on We Like Comics Because They Have No Bones, we will be discussing another Marvel title, Morbius Old Wounds, which collects the first five issues of his solo run from 2019. But for now, head to our YouTube channel at tinyurl.com slash bonelesscomicspodcast for our after-show discussion of Marvel's Moon Knight TV show from Disney+. Plus. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. We like comics because they have no Later, bye. Peace out.